Choice is brought to you by Wordsworth Books. It's noon on the first Monday of the month, so it's Book Choice on Fine Music Radio, right here at the Artscape Theatre, centre of Cape Town. I'm Gory Bose Taylor. And I'm Mataba Chaba. It's the last book choice for the year, Gory. And how are you going to spend Christmas, Mataba Chaba? Your uh, special spice on a bride turkey? <laughs> with family, obviously. <laughs> uh, what do you have for us this happy hour? Okay. Andrew Marshbanks, Wordsworth Books, MD of Wordsworth Books, loads Santa's sleigh with a festive bag of the best in fiction and non-fiction. And our next two books are extraordinary memoirs, and both of them are today's giveaways. Vanessa Levenstein glowingly reviews Michelle Obama's revealing tale of the triumphs and tribulations of being America's first lady in Becoming, while Peter's story takes us into his equally extraordinary story, I beg to differ, and differ he did in those dark days of apartheid. It's also one of today's giveaways. Melvin Minar suggests Santa brings you five great books: Guy Butler, Peter Dirk Ace, this year's Booker winner Anna Burns, Oz Clark and a stretch of Strelitzias. Leslie Beek tells why Tiger's Walk is her children's book of the year. And Philip Todris unwraps two books that would make indulgent gifts for the gifting season. When nature photography becomes art, no, that's not the title. The title is Moods of Nature by world-renowned photographer Heinrich van Vandenberg and Imagine John Jono, which publisher Thames and Hudson regards as their most important book of the year. Mike Fitzjames chooses three thrillers to cheer Santa down the chimney and do stay tuned for our easy-peasy competition question to win one of two 250 Rand Wordsworth Books vouchers or Michelle Obama Her Becoming or I Beg to Differ by Peter Story. Andrew Marshbanks, you a lot there. Hi, Gary. Thanks so much. This is the last review before Christmas. At Wordsworth, we have our traditional Christmas choice, books that we've gone through and selected that are great value and uh, would make wonderful presents for yourselves or other people. So I've just gone through and I've chosen a few of these to speak to you about. The first one is going to be the smash hit of Christmas. This is the Michelle Obama called Becoming. And I was quite taken with it, I have to say. It's, it is a very dense political type book. But first of all, I did, as I'm sure most people do, is I went to the back to see how she coped with Trump coming in. And that really was quite revelatory. She said to herself, the famous bit is she's at the inauguration. And she says to herself, why do I have to smile? I'm not going to smile. And she sat there, stony face, right through the inauguration. It's a fascinating book, and, and I think we're all so steeped in American politics at the moment. This would make a great present for anyone who's really into biographies, 
politics, that sort of thing. It's written well, beautifully edited, and it's a lovely book. can recommend that highly. Now we've got a couple of local books. The first one is called Sea Change. Now this is this guy who in Comakey decides there's going to be one patch, uh, one area under the sea that he's going to photograph right throughout the year. So every day he goes there and he photographs the changes, what the kelp forest is doing, etc. And it's, it is a beautiful book, absolutely beautiful. It's called Sea Change by Craig Foster and Ross Freilich. And it is, it's a coffee table book, beautifully, beautifully done, amazing pictures. Anyone who's interested in the sea, fishing, anything like that, this is the book for you. For ladies out there who want a, a nice read, or men who want a nice read, there's a new Jodie Pico. I think I've mentioned that before to you all. Also very good. The new Michael Connolly, Dark Sacred Night. A good thriller to sit down with after Christmas and just forget everything, you know, and just get absorbed into Hieronymus Bosch. That's called Dark Sacred Night, Michael Connolly. And the other one, more female orientated, is I think it's a fifth in the Lucinda Riley series. This one's called The Moon Sister. People love this series, absolutely love it. And if you're caught up in the series, this is the latest one and highly, highly recommended. Now, George R. R. Martin. What can I say about George Martin except that he should really get a move on and do his new book in the Fire and the Trilogy? Well, the five-part thing that he's doing at the moment. But he hasn't. He's decided to go back in time and uh, talk about the Targaryen history. So we have this huge novel, that one of two, um, and it's a history of the Targaryen life in the in illustrated chronicle begins to answer the questions that you didn't know you needed to be answered. It's called Fire and Blood by George R. R. Martin, and that is something for anyone who's enjoying the TV series or who has enjoyed the book. Leonard Cohen has a book. It's selected poetry and songs from the last five, ten years. I love Leonard Cohen, and his books and his songs are very, very close to my heart. I think to have this around to make you feel good is fantastic. Poetry is very popular at the moment, and Leonard Cohen, The Flame, is a wonderful buy for anyone who's interested in either poetry or Leonard Cohen. Now, there are lots and lots of children's books this Christmas. The first one I must mention is a new Julia Donaldson, and it's called Adam Alphabet. Julia Donaldson is fantastic. She was out here for a while, fairly recently. She is one of those people that just inspires. Her books are fantastic, beautifully illustrated, always imaginative and wonderful, and the kids really enjoy it. This is for toddlers, Adam Alphabet, Julia Donaldson, and I think um, any child uh, about after the age of five or so would really love it. And of course, the last thing I must just mention, it's a huge book and it's hugely expensive. It is the Hogwarts, the, the pop-up guide to Hogwarts, Harry Potter. This is, I think it's about 900 rand, 800 rand, somewhere around there. It's a huge, fantastic piece of paper art that you just roll out and pull out all the pop-up stuff 
and it is absolutely beautiful. Some of our shops have got it on display. It's something I can highly recommend for anyone who's Harry Potter mad. This is the book for them. And it's worth making that sacrifice of 900 rand or 800 rand. It is fantastic. There is so much here, so much coming out, and so much that is, is available at Christmas. We've got a whole lot of it. It's all been discounted, so it's the reasonable prices. And let me just say, have a fantastic Christmas, have a wonderful New Year, and we'll see you in January. And keep reading. Happy reading. Cheers. And, uh, and the first book that Andrew mentioned was Michelle Obama's book. And uh, here is Vanessa Levenstein's nice review of it. Brilliant, beautiful and brave. Michelle Obama's autobiography, Becoming, has fast become an international bestseller. The New York Times wrote, The publishing industry might have to think back to Harry Potter's heyday for a book that has garnered as much attention as the former First Lady's has. Snippets from the book are used for clickbait, from her miscarriage to marriage counselling, which is odd, because Michelle's most intimate personal life isn't what makes this book so extraordinary. What is fascinating is her insight into the different worlds she's inhabited, her learnings and innate wisdom. In the preface, Michelle says, And here I am, in this new place, with a lot I want to say. Say it she does, with unflinching honesty, and words that flow effortlessly. There isn't a false note or cliché, nor do you feel like this is part of some political campaign. It's the story, simply, of a daughter sister, wife, mother and friend. It's the story of America's first black first lady. Growing up in the south side of Chicago, Michelle shared a room with her brother Craig in the family's upstairs apartment. Their parents were devoted to them, instilling in them a strong work ethic and sense and pride of family. Michelle's childhood friend was Santita, daughter of Jesse Jackson. Michelle writes with candid honesty. She and I were all for strengthening the character of black youth across America, but we also needed rather desperately to get to Water Tower Place before the case was sneaker sale ended. Michelle finishes school and joins her brother at Princeton College, where she was one of the few black kids in a mostly white school. It was also an environment where classroom conversation was dominated by male students. I realized that they weren't at all smarter than the rest of us. They were simply floating on an ancient tide of superiority. After graduation, Michelle is employed at a top law firm in Chicago. A memo arrives on her desk asking her to mentor an incoming summer associate. And here's why you just can't put this book down. It's more than just Michelle's story, which we all know. It's the way she tells it that has sparks of delight and surprise. She writes... Next to your name is another name, that of some hotshot law student who's busy climbing his own ladder. Like you, he's black and from Harvard. Other than that, you know nothing. Just the name. And it's an odd one. Barack is presented as brilliant, deeply principled, a great dad, very untidy, and the love of her life. Their relationship runs the natural course, courtship, marriage, kids, and then it starts to break out of the fold as she joins his campaign for president. Over and above the normal challenges that a high-profile working mother faces, Michelle endures sexism and racism. It's enough to make a strong person curl up and not want to face the world, yet Obama does so with grace, dignity and a deep commitment to her country. She is always mindful of others, never foregoing the working-class community, 
She writes, The margins always felt narrow. One missed paycheck could leave you without electricity. One missed homework assignment could put you behind and possibly out of college. Michelle deconstructs racism and social inequality. As the first African-American family to live in the White House, she was acutely aware of her position. There's an age-old saying in the black community, you've got to be twice as good to get half as far. Michelle holds the mirror to herself and society. The image she reflects is one of grounded optimism, celebrating human courage and resilience. Ironically, it's her own words that best describe just why becoming has become a bestseller. Hope is making a comeback. My other favourites for 2018 were London Rules by McHeron, The Ministry of Utmost Happiness by Arundhati Roy, and a book I'm going to review for January's book choice, Transcription by Kate Atkinson. Peter Story, and what a story you tell in your extraordinary autobiography. It's called I Beg to Differ. It radiates ministry, service and love. Your telling of your boyhood is evocative. And incidentally, Peter, you and Justice Edwin Cameron both cycled through long grasses to Pretoria Boys High, a school that obviously produces luminaries. You're a former bishop of the Methodist Church in Southern Africa. You're a distinguished emeritus professor of Duke University of North Carolina and a former chaplain to Nelson Mandela and the others on Robben Island. Your first inner city ministry was at the Methodist Church in Batencombe Street in District 6 when 60,000 people were evicted. Peter, how did you and your ministry try to help? Thank you, Gory. It's good to be with you. You know, I was a white minister appointed to, to a church of some 800 people, mainly mixed-race people, residents of District 6, at the very time that District 6 was declared a white area. So you can imagine what I felt like standing in the pulpit looking out at this congregation of something like 800 people and knowing that most of them were going to lose their homes to the bulldozers because of people like me, because of people my my skin color. So for me, the first challenge was simply to win the trust of people who were being very, very badly hurt. Fortunately, they opened their hearts to me. I wasn't the one who made the breakthrough. They broke through to me, and their their welcome was warm and hospitable. I think the first thing we needed to do was to help people in that situation remember uh, their value as human beings. Everything in the apartheid policy was telling them that they were second-class creatures rather than truly human beings. And so it was important that the gospel that we preached was one which reinforced the dignity and the preciousness of every single human being. And then the next thing was to help them stand up to this this monster. Now, they couldn't stop the removals, but they didn't have to be defeated internally by that. We could build an internal defiance. And so we followed certain uh, educational and other plans and, and programs to, to, to help them discover, rediscover, if you like, their dignity as human beings. And some of them went on. We had protest meetings, of course, in the church, and ultimately after I had gone, uh, that church really became a battleground with armored vehicles parked against all of its doors and people being arrested inside and so on. 
But in the end, District 6 became once more home to the beginning of a returning group of people, and, and I hope that more will return. And of course, as you say, we all have our hopes and ambitions, as did they, as do all of us. And then, Peter, there's the oft-told tale of Winnie Madagazella Mandela and the murder of 14-year-old Stompy, presumably by her henchman, Jerry Richardson. In the backyard of Winnie's house in Soweto were four other young men, also kidnapped on her orders. After one escaped and fled to your church, you found yourself negotiating a hostage crisis. Both Oliver Tambo in Dar es Salaam and Nelson Mandela in Pulsewell Prison ordered Winnie to release the three. She refused. You worked desperately with community leaders to free them. Yes, it was a very painful time to see an icon of the liberation struggle, somebody who was my hero and who I knew well, in a sense descend into actions which were utterly unacceptable and which were in fact common law crimes. This was not a political issue. It was a political issue, of course, but it was not a political crime. It was a common law crime. Some boys were kidnapped and one child was murdered and ultimately the person who had to take responsibility was winning. It it was a very, very tough and painful time. Now there are all sorts of things written about it, all sorts of things said about it, all sorts of opinions about why and wherefores. In the, the three chapters in my book that I deal with this crisis, I simply state the facts. A day-to-day, blow-by-blow summary of, of what happened from the day of the kidnap onward until the Truth Commission hearings years later. And for me, the important thing throughout it all, throughout in, in the midst of the sort of political maelstrom, was to just keep the picture of that child Stompy in my mind. That 14-year-old kid who I had met and not got to know, but I knew him enough to know that this this was a, a profoundly wrong thing that had been done. And I think it was a moral stain on the liberation struggle. Uh, very difficult time, difficult thing to deal with. And equally, Peter, there's a heart-rending photograph at the end of your poignant epilogue of a bench at the water's edge in Neisner where you scattered your wife Elizabeth's ashes. You say she was a shy and often frightened person, but you pay tribute to her courage. Yes, Elizabeth, from childhood, I think, was was very nervous. She grew up in the latter years of the Second World War, and uh, I, I think she was scared of many things. And for me, the wonderful courage which she demonstrated was because she was of that kind of disposition. She was an incredibly strong person. She stood by me in so many amazing ways, but she had her own unique ministry to people. While I tended to have a public uh, sort of profile, she worked one-to-one with human beings. And it was only when she she died that we discovered just how many hundreds and hundreds of such people wanted to say something about how an encounter with Elizabeth had changed their lives. And so it says to me that we should never, never underestimate the quiet, transformative 
touch that one human being can have in the life of another. And she was certainly that kind of human being, and I thank God for her, and wanted to honor her in this book as an equal partner in the ministry that I tried to talk about. All I ask of you from the Phantom of the Opera, played by the Hungarian trio. You know, Gori, uh, Peter sounds like a very interesting man. Yes, and you know, there's a lot more to him, you know, than you, one picks up in that very brief interview. So, 
I hope listeners listen to Peter's story again, being interviewed by Chris Ticklin on People of Note on Sunday, December the 30th, where Chris you'll get a much more comprehensive story. Yeah, he's being interviewed by Chris Ticklin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not Ticklin. <laughs> not Ticklin. <laughs> and um, uh, Peter's stories, I beg to differ, is also one of my books of the year. The others are An Elephant in My Kitchen by Francoise Maltby Anthony. And Dr. James Barry, A Woman Ahead of Her Time, by Michael Dupree. And here's our easy-peasy competition question to win one of two 250-round vouchers from Wordsworth Books, or Michelle Obama, or Peter Story. Who pulls Santa's sleigh all the way from the North Pole? Is it three blind mice? Is it reindeer? We're waiting for your clever answers on 021-401-1013. Let's hear what Melvin has to say. Melvin Minar, five books, a seasonal wrap-up. I know you would prefer a few more than solid, sensible sentences and appealing arguments about a good book and its merits to fill these worthy review slots. But when the tomes on my pleasure pile next to my bed pile up, the season of mature is upon us, I simply don't know which to sing loud laudates about. So this time, a snapshot or some about books that will make excellent gifts, are good and easy reads, and, well, look extremely attractive when the wrapping and the ribbons come off. First to unwrap is a beauty. Strelitzias of the world is, as the blurb rightly punts, a visual feast and fascinating read. Beautifully produced and published by the Durban Botanical Gardens Trust, its 300 pages illuminate the backstories and contemporary status of our country's iconic flower. Authors Himansu Bayanath and Patricia McCracken's text are brightly inspiring. It's a sort that sets you off to look again and again. Of course, the glorious old and new illustrations are pure elegance, a perfect botanical gift. Guy Butler's Tales of the Old Karoo is also of an iconic nature. Reissued in celebration of the author's birth centenary, it comprises the sort of stories we need to read aloud to family as you indulge in the sentiment of the season. Pure delight, vivid, humorous and colourful, Butler recalls a romantic past in classic storytelling mode. It's a gracious gift to a beloved niece or nephew, I think. Another cousin, who has followed the equally colourful career of Peter de Gace and was chuffed by his straight storytelling charm in the current one-man show, now on at the Fugard, will get his latest memoir called The Echo of a Noise. From behind the acclaimed public persona of multiple personalities and a fine career as a playwright, a clever witty man and his observations with fond remembrances are exposed. He takes readers deep into his personal history in a heartwarming way. Getting to know somebody you admire a little better is always a thrill. Some of us like to indulge in what I would call the indulgence of literary adventure. In other words, we like the words, the sentences, the style, to challenge the mind somewhat, to raise an enigmatic bar to reading pleasure. The Man Booker Prize this year went to a book that just thrills to those of that mindset. Anna Burns's Milkman is stylistically unlike anything in print, and for that thoroughly riveting. This Northern Irish author has a hand on prose that seems to conjure up 
with the reader's ability to follow, understand and feel in real time. One reads this for the pleasure of skill, while the story of Belfast in the 70s and a girl's coming of age play out in darkly funny but also scary telling. It's a beautiful book. Critics have called it seminal for a true bookish person. But back to a memoir. Weinfundi Oz Clark is widely admired not only for his skill as taster and serious commentator of wine, but his pithy writing about it. As they say in the business, he has a fine palate and ability to communicate his observations and evaluation. In a new memoir called Red and White, Clark writes cheerfully and clearly about his passion. He tells about his lifelong love of wine, how it happened and how it is. And with most wine lovers, it is a life of changing adventures, one of opinion and one that evangelizes the enjoyment and happiness of the fruit of the vine. And as Christmas gift, it is also handy, for he willingly gives his recommendations of the best of South African wines as well. And you'll know who to offer this gift to. d'hiver qui s'en va sifflant soufflant dans les grands sapins verts oh vive le vent vive le temps vive le temps d'hiver boule de neige et jour de l'an et bonne année grand-mère joyeux joyeux noël aux mille bougies penchantes vers le ciel les cloches de la nuit oh vive le vent vive le vent vive le vent d'hiver Il rapporte aux vieux enfants leurs souvenirs d'hiver Sur le long chemin, blanc de neige blanche Un vieux monsieur s'avance avec sa canne dans la main Et tout là-haut le vent, qui souffle dans les branches Lui souffle la romance qu'il chante à petit enfant Vive le vent, vive le vent, vive le vent d'hiver Qui s'en va sifflant, soufflant dans les grands sapins verts Oh, vive le temps, vive le temps, vive le temps d'hiver Boule de neige et jour de l'an et bonne année grand-mère Joyeux, joyeux Noël, au mille bougies Qu'on chante vers le ciel, les cloches de la nuit Oh, vive le vent, vive le vent, vive le vent d'hiver Qui rapporte aux vieux enfants leurs souvenirs d'hiver Le vieux monsieur descend vers le village C'est l'heure où tout est sage et l'ombre danse au coin du feu Et dans chaque maison il flotte un air de fête Partout la table est prête et on entend la même chanson Vive le vent, vive le vent, vive le vent d'hiver Qui s'en va sifflant, soufflant dans les grands sapins verts Oh, vive le temps, vive le temps, vive le temps d'hiver Boule de neige et jour de l'an et bonne Jingle bells sung by Daniel Pascal. This one got Corey and I tapping in the studio. <laughs> I was just going to say, may I have the next dance, please, Mr. <laughs> Thank you, Rick, for that. <laughs> Leslie Beak, the tiger in Rousseau's painting, goes walkabout.
that time of year again. The bit where people rush into bookshops and scrabble for something to buy for, well, everybody. I could come with you if you like, but here are a few ideas if you're going solo. An incredible number of books are published for children and young people every year. The numbers vary, of course, but let's just call it a lot and leave it at that. Very few of those are truly, truly excellent. And excellence, as I have said more than once, is the only measure of a book. Here are three. A new release from Tafelberg, Tiger Walk by Diane Hoffmeyer, with absolutely stunning illustrations by Jesse Hodgson, is a winner for any age group because it is so beautiful and so powerful a story about real childhood fears. A tiger steps out of the memory of Henri Rousseau's famous painting, Tiger, surprised, and into the dream of Tom, who's frightened of quite a lot of things. That night, shadows creep around Tom's room, dark and scary. From the wall, the tiger's green jewel eyes stare back at him. The whiskers twitch. The tail swishes. Tom holds his breath. The tiger steps forward. It pads closer and closer until Tom feels the hot, tigery breath against his cheek. Let's go for a walk, the tiger purrs. But it's nighttime and it's very dark, whispers Tom. Tigers aren't scared of the dark. Besides, there's a moon. Climb up. Hold tight. The huge tiger and the tiny boy walk on through the magical forest, crossing a river on the way. How will we get to the other side, whispers Tom. We'll swim, growls the tiger. I'm a little bit scared of swimming, says Tom. The river looks deep, and the might be eels. Tigers love swimming. Tigers aren't scared of eels. I'll swap them away with my paws. Hold tight. I wish I could read the whole book to you, as I'm going to for our last workshop of the year with our children's book network enthusiasts. They're going to love this one, as clearly do I. Tiger Walk is my book of the year, but may I remind you of two others I've reviewed this year? Get a pencil out, otherwise you might just, I might just have to come with you after all. The Straw Giant and the Crow, written and illustrated by Jessica Bosworth-Smith, was published by Imaginary House in 2018, ages 8 and upwards. Nevermore, The Trials of Morrigan Crow, by Jessica Townsend, published by Orion, an imprint of Hachette in 2017, ages 10 and upwards. And my book of the year, Tiger Walk by Diane Hoffmeyer, with fabulous illustrations by Jesse Hodgson, published by Tafelberg in 2018. Happy reading, happy holidays.
the holes. This one is played by Mike Lutz on saxophone. Corey, what's our competition question again? Do you think we should do it again? Yes, just to remind the listeners. <laughs> okay. Well, Bataba Bataba says here's our com- easy peasy competition question again to win one of two 250 rand Wordsworth Books vouchers or Michelle Obama or Peter Story. Tell us who pulls Santa's sleigh all the way from the North Pole. Is it three blind mice? Is it reindeer? We're waiting for your answers on 021 401 Peter Todras, two utterly stunning books for giving or getting. I have two really elegant, even better than elegant, very handsome books which would make very superb gifts for the festive season. The first one I'd like to review is Moods of Nature by Heinrich van der Berg. It's a wonderful combination of wildlife photography and art and poetry. The images are striking, they're quite amazing in fact, essentially in black and white with flashes of orange and I gather this is one of Heinrich van der Berg's techniques. He is a very well-known wildlife photographer in fact with an international reputation but he uses the images to tell a story and the choice of words and often poetry that goes with it are very elegant, very unassuming and tell a very very powerful story. So Moods of Nature is the black, white and orange sequel to some other books done by Heinrich van der Berg And Moods of Nature, as it says, is both daring and original, and I would concur with that. As with life, it is simple, yet at the same time complex. The photography is unique, and photography is powerful. But what I also found about it is a choice of text that went with it. And the story of Moods of Nature starts with some of the words. I'm going to quote, because I think that's the best way of telling you what what he says so eloquently. Our tides are not confined to our bodies. We form part of the rhythm of nature. We thin into mist and rain into rivers, which flow down from mountain streams to grassland dreams, back to the sea inside us. And that is generally the flow of text and the flow of images, which are strong, striking, and, as he claims, original. This is the first time I've actually come across the work of Heinrich van der Berg, and I thought the book was really a very beautiful introduction, very striking images, which go from mountains, through dales, through rivers to valleys, and eventually through to the ocean. So you get a very strong and powerful vision of some of his visions, and even as you open the book, the striking image of birds is quite astounding. So that's Moods of Nature, Heinrich van der Berg, and it's published by HPH Publishing. It's a book that I would very much love to have on my coffee table and would make a very, very elegant gift. The other book that I would love to have, and I'm sure a lot of people would also enjoy, would be Imagine, John Yoko. It's by Thames and Hudson, with a substantiate lot of the text by Yoko Ono, with contributions from the people who were there. And there are interviews as well. What is quite striking is the opening, which is mid-60s, John Lennon going to an art exhibition and falling in love with the artwork and then meeting Yoko. So it's a very beautiful love story, as well as a recollection of a particular time and period. If you were in the 60s, 70s, and of course into, we've just had Beatlemania here at Artscape, it's taking you into that world. And the funny story that I have to tell, which is a personal one, is that a friend of mine was very proud of the fact that when he was the arts director for Harper's Magazine, he Yoko Ono came to him for a job. He looked through his 
her portfolio and said, you have no talent, and he stood by that. But I would like to reassess that, because I think she preceded her times in very much looking at conceptual art and doing things in a very different way and with a very striking, strong message of peace, which she then follows through with John Lennon as well. And again, I want to quote, and that is, the book is called Imagine, of course, it refers to John Lennon's song, but he also subsequently attributes a lot of the imagine context and words to her. Imagine. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Well, that's a wonderful message, and it certainly comes through very strongly in fabulous images and of a wonderful book, which is published by Thames and Hudson. It's available locally, and it's something beyond handsome on a coffee table. That's Imagine, John Yoko, Thames and Hudson, Texas substantially by Yoko Ono, with contributions from the people who were there. Go to first nights at the Met 
Hey man, it's a gas, it's a ring-a-ding-ding, it's a breeze When you're in a jet high-flying Or you back a horse that's trying If the fish you caught is frying, it's a breeze When you slam the hole in one Or you're tanning in the sun Hey man, it's a gas, it's a ring-a-ding-ding, it's a breeze A trip to Europe on the QE2 A holiday, search for something new But if it's love you're really craving With a home, a heart, a haven Then it's time you started saving It's a breeze When the jackpot you have hit And you tell your boss, I quit Hey man, it's a gas, it's a ring-a-ding-ding It's a breeze When you're sailing on the Met In your new yacht You couldn't give a damn No matter what But When you find the ball is over And you're tired of being a rover And you still can live in clover It's a breeze When you dig a guy that's got it And the marriage ties be knotted Hey man, it's a guess, it's a ring-a-ding-ding It's a breeze Hey man, it's a guess, it's a ring-a-ding-ding It's a breeze It's a breeze sung by Eve Boswell Correct? And another breeze, Mike Fitzjames, when you tell us the three thrillers that you've chosen to cheer Santa down the chimney. Good afternoon, Gorry. What a joy that the advent of Christmas has released so many wonderful titles. I've selected three super reads for our listeners. We start with Dead of Night by Michael Stanley. When journalist Crystal Nguyen heads to South Africa... She thinks she will research rhino horn smuggling for the National Geographic while searching for a missing colleague. However, within a week, she has been hunting poachers, hunted by their bosses, and then arrested in a murder case. Everybody is chasing a missing briefcase of money, the key to everything. Leaving South Africa, she goes undercover in Vietnam, trying to discover the truth before she is exposed by the local mafia. Discovering the plot behind the money is only half the battle. Now she must convince the South African authorities to take action before it's too late. My second choice is Murder Mile by Linda Laplante. It's February 1979. Economic chaos has led to widespread strikes across Britain. Jane Tennyson, now a detective sergeant, has been posted to Peckham CID, 
one of London's toughest areas. As the rubbish in the streets mounts, so does the murder count. Two bodies as many days. The only link between the two victims is the location. Found within a short distance of each other, near Rye Lane in Peckham, three days later another murder occurs in the same area. Headlines scream that a serial killer is loose on Murder Mile and that police incompetence is hampering the hunt. Working long hours with little sleep, what Jane uncovers leaves her doubting her own mind. Final choice is Captive by Tony Park. Kerry Maxwell flies into South Africa to volunteer at a wildlife orphanage run by vet Graham Baird. Graham is as jaded and reckless as Kerry is law-abiding and optimistic. When Kerry arrives at the animal sanctuary, it's to the news that Graham is in prison in Mozambique following a shootout with elephant poachers. In the gunfight, he killed the brother of corrupt politician and poaching kingpin Fidel Costa. Kerry's sense of justice takes her to Messinger to help Graham with his case and into a world of danger. Kidnapped, chased, attacked and betrayed, Kerry learns the bitter truth about the war on poaching. Even the motivations of well-meaning charities, wealthy donors and private zoos are not all they appear. Kerry's situation may be just what Graham needs to shake off his cynicism and stop Costa's quest for revenge. And that's it. I hope you enjoy all my selections over the festive season. My choices were Dead of Night by Michael Stanley, Murder Mile by Linda LaPlante, and Captive by Tony Park. <laughs> Oh, 
the Christmas song uh, by Mac Lights again. Uh, Gory, it's almost time for us to say goodbye. I know, and that was our last answer of the year. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I shall see you again next year. <laughs> we will indeed. And uh, that's a wrap-up then. Today's winners, um, Tony George, uh, Gwen Barges, it looks like, Lenny Swartz and Wendy Madsen. We're going to ring you straight after this. Please stand by. I, I said that you would hear uh, Peter's story on Rodney's programme on December the 30th. It's actually been brought forward to people of note on December 16. Our next FMR book choice uh, for next year will be on Monday Jan 14 not the first Monday of the month but the second Monday of the month thanks to the terrific team to Rick Everett to Mwandi Lobi and to Mataba Taba Adebi and for me Goy Bose Taylor it's goodbye and festive reading Book Choice was brought to you by Wordsworth Books Hi I'm Andrew from Wordsworth Books we have bookshops that are a bit different we have staff that are a bit different we love our customers and we're passionate about our books. From paperbacks at 59 Rand to Leonardo da Vinci at 2,000 Rand, our selection is remarkable. And we sell special stationery as well. Wordsworth. We sell books the old-fashioned way. We read them. Mm-hmm.